Thanks for bearing with us for this one kind of middle of the tea room uh, worship service. Um, a little bit different, we got, uh, and, and that's good because we got a very familiar parable and we need to be shaken up a little bit, so this is a good thing. Uh, we're talking today about the parable of the, uh, parable of the uh, prodigal son, and the parable of the prodigal son brings with it some spiritual hurdles, and, and the spiritual hurdle is its familiarity. I, I like what Jocelyn Murray, the writer, once said, familiarity makes the lion more dangerous. So we've got a dangerous text because of familiarity. And I want to keep you out of danger today. So I want you to unstop your spiritual ears and see with new fresh eyes this story of the prodigal son. As Tim Keller said, it's really probably not even labeled well the prodigal son. It's really the prodigal God. And I'll tell you why. First of all, God is the, the protagonist in the story. He's the only hero in the story, and it's all about God's love and mercy. Second thing is, prodigal. What does that mean? It means extravagant, wasteful, lavish, reckless. And yeah, we have that younger son, and we'll discover him to be extravagant and reckless and all that kind of stuff. But it's really the grace and the mercy and the love of God that is reckless and extravagant and even wasteful. So... We have uh, the address today of Jesus, and what he wants us to, to see more than anything else is that Christianity is at its essence and its core a relationship and not a religion. Now get that, it's a relationship, not a religion. Um, in fact, when Christianity came into the world, the Romans didn't call it a religion at all. For 200 years, the Romans called it an anti-religion. And they called us atheists. Christians were atheists because they could not wrap their mind around what we were preaching and teaching. That the way back to the Father's house was not by earning your way back, but by a personal relationship with his love of his son on the cross. And they were right. We shouldn't be called a religion. We should be called a means that is by a relationship to return home to the Father. That's the means. So let's look at this relationship that the father has with these two sons. The first one is the reckless son. Uh, if you have your Bibles, it would be great to turn to Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 12 and following. So Jesus is telling this parable to two groups. Uh, one is the tax collectors who are reckless and have left home and wandered way away from God. And that re re should remind you of the first son, the one that we're going to talk about. The second group is the scribes and the Pharisees, those upstanding religious people who did everything right. All their morals were in place. That should remind you of the second son. That's why Jesus told the story. But let's look at the younger son, verse 12. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Don't miss this, please. Don't miss this. In that culture, two-thirds of the property would have gone to that older son. A third would have gone to the younger son. All right, so what, and that money would have been dispersed upon the death of the father. So what this younger son, in essence, is asking of his father is, I wish you were dead, and I want your stuff. I wish you were dead, and I want your stuff. Your relationship with me is merely a means to an end. I don't love you. I love your stuff. In the words of the great American poet laureate, 
Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. <laughs> that reckless son. Guess what? The Bible says in that culture, if you're dissed by your father in such a way, your father should expel you from the home, verbally assault you, physically throw you out, and never welcome you home again. But that's not what this father does, is it? Because this is the loving father. This is the prodigal father. This is God the father. Look at verse 2. So he divided his property among them. The father gave of himself freely to these sons. Son, you can wish me dead and I'm still going to love you. That's the love of the father. In fact, you could say that the entire parable that we're reading about today is about how God, the true father in heaven, responds in the face of rejected love. How would God the Father respond if we rejected his love with more love? In fact, when it says he divided his property, the Greek word there is bios, same word from which we get biology, which is life, right? So the Father gave, in the face of rejection, a third of his very life to his Son. A third of all of his savings, everything that he poured into all of those years. He gave it to the son who rejected him and wanted him dead. That should be a hint of the cross, my friends, that God gave of his very life for those who rejected him. And in verse 13, the reckless son begins his journey. Let's look at that. The reckless boy then moves to the bright lights of Myrtle Beach, okay? <laughs> he buys a sports car, puts on all the bling, spends money hand over fist in the strip clubs, drinks and smokes all Papa's money, Party's hard till he's got nothing left, right? Look at verses 13 and 14. He squandered his property in reckless living, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Now notice, in need. So, so what's driving him? What's his motivation? He's got no more money, and that's important. His motivation to go home is not that he loves the Father for who the Father is, but because he's maxed out his credit cards. He's got an empty wallet. He's desperate. He's, he's self-motivated. Look at verse 15. It says that he takes up a job slopping the pigs. And you imagine a young Jewish boy taking a worse job than slopping the pigs. And it gets so bad in verse 16 that it says he was lusting after the pods that were being thrown to the pigs. He was that hungry. He was that desperate. So it doesn't get any worse than that. For a young Jewish boy, so he hatches a plan to come home, right? Look at verse 18. Oh, I know, I will rise and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so treat me as a hired servant. Not a son, but a servant. Now there's an implication there too that you need to be aware of. This reckless son wants to be a servant. Literally, he doesn't ask to be a son back in the father's house. He wants to be an apprentice to a tradesman, to learn a job, to find an occupation, to make some money so that he could pay restitution to his daddy. He wants to buy his father off for all that he's done. Friends, that's what religion says. Religion says earn it. Religion says pay your restitution. Work harder and the father will accept you back into the household. Religion says Say 50 Hail Marys, and God will love you. Say your prayers every night, and God will, God will welcome you. Read your Bible every day, 365 days a year. Pay your tithe. 
clean your life up, and God will welcome you home. That's religion. That's not what happens here, though, is it? That's not how our story ends. Before the boy can utter a single word from his well-rehearsed speech of restitution, look at what the father does in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now you need to know, if you're wearing a robe like I am today, it's very difficult to run. Uh, fathers did not run in that culture. I just ran over here across the way. This father is running. Why wouldn't you run? Children ran. Youth ran. Because it was undignified. It was unbecoming. It was reckless. It was wasteful. It was frivolous. It was only what a prodigal God would do in love of his son. Second thing is, he goes and embraces him. And slobbers kisses all over him and welcomes him home. Some commentators say that he is acting more like a Jewish mother in this story than a Jewish father. A Jewish father would have said, boy, you good for nothing? You squandered all, you're not welcome home. Get out of here. But not this prodigal God. He welcomes the boy home. You see the difference between religion and a relationship? Religion says, earn it. Come back to the father. Earn your way back into the household. Pay your restitution. Christianity says, God's coming to get us. Because he loves us. He's coming to slobber grace and mercy in our lives. He will become undignified for us. He'll become shamed for us. He'll become beaten and broken on the cross of Calvary for all of us. Lavish grace, reckless love, the love of the prodigal God. So the father won't even listen to the plans for compensation. Look at verse 22. He says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. He doesn't say this slave. doesn't say this servant. He says this son. This son. He put the signet ring on his finger. The ring representing full acceptance and identity with that family. He's fully back in the family. Put shoes on his feet. Slaves didn't wear shoes in that society. They couldn't afford them. He's not a slave. He's a son. Put shoes on his feet. Get the finest robe. That would have been the father's robe, the most elegant robe in the entire household. Get it for him. Go kill the fatted calf. You didn't kill a fatted calf, but maybe once or twice a year for major celebrations. This guy gets a royal treatment. Welcome home, son. I'm not going to wait for you to clean yourself up. I'm going to wait for you to come in. I'm not going to make you pay restitution. I'm not going to treat you as a hired hand. I don't want to hear your well-rehearsed speech. I simply want you. And I want you to want me because I'm the Father. It's the difference between Christianity and other religions. Because it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Now here's the deal. If you are doing religion, if you're trying to be moral, to work your way back in the Father's house, here's what it's going to lead to. You're going to end up feeling that God owes you. I, I was there at one time. I was really good. I didn't do a lot of bad stuff in high school. And when things started to go rotten in my particular life, I began to hate God because you owe me, God. Look at all these great things I've done for you. And you treat me like this? Sound a lot like the second son? I was there. He's livid. 
He smells the barbecue wafting through the air. There's a party going on around here. A celebration will last throughout the year, so bring your good times and your laughter, too. We're going to celebrate. Cooling the gang on the boombox over there. I can't get the song out of my head now that I've preached it three times. So in verse 25, look at that. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near the house, and he heard the music and heard the dancing, and the older son was livid. Why? Because he, too, was operating out of religion, not a relationship. He'd been good. He'd done right. He's earned his way. Look at verse 29. Look, Father, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed one commandment. And yet you gave this no good son of yours a goat, and you never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. So, you see what the older son is saying? I've earned my place. You owe me. And get this. The younger son had already squandered a third of the inheritance. So, in a way, he's right, right? I mean, that ring, that's my ring you put on that good-for-nothing finger. That's my coat that you gave to him. That's my fatted calf. Those are my shoes he's wearing. It's right, right? Everything else belonged to the older son. It's not fair. But Christianity is not fair. It's about a relationship, and it's about grace, and it's about a God who lavishes love on us, even extravagantly lavishes love on us. And that's what Christianity is about, about sons and daughters coming home, not because they've earned their place with the Father, but because the Father was willing to suffer the indignity of the cross for every one of us. God doesn't want our religion. He wants our relationship. So guess who's in the most spiritual danger in the story? It's the religious guy. Look at verse 28. He was angry and refused to go in. The older son, so caught up in his religiosity, he felt that the father owed him and refused to go into the party. Flannery O'Connor, the wonderful author, said in a book called Wise Blood about one of her characters. She said, there was a dark understanding in him, a dark understanding, that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. In other words, be moral, do good, and you can avoid Jesus. You can cover up the fact that you don't have a relationship with Jesus by simply being good. And being moral. So here's our application today. Jesus is telling this story to both religious people and reckless people. And you're one of them because I've been both of them from time to time. When we have a God that loves us, then he wants us to love him back simply because he's the father. He's a good, good father. Both of these kids publicly humiliated their father. One took a third of the estate and left town and wished him dead. The other refused to go into the party and celebrate with his father. And yet the father loved them both in the face of rejected love. Not only does God do that, but God wants us home, not because of our good works, but because he says, I want your heart. I want your heart. So the father goes out to both sons, runs across the field to greet one, takes, comes out of the party to greet the other, and says to both of them, I love you, and I want you to come home. So if you're in church today, and your motivation is anything other than the fact that you want more than anything else the riches of the Father's love, you're here for the wrong reason. If you are trying to religion your way to God, you're here for the wrong reason. If you want anything other than a relationship with the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
you need to hear this parable. You need to hear this parable because what it says to us is the Father wants you too, but he doesn't want you to want him for what he can give you. He wants you to want him because he loves you. It's a religion, not a religion, but a relationship. And he comes to meet us across the field today. And he's waiting with open arms for both the religious people and the reckless people, the materialists and the moralists. So come home today, not for what you can gain from it, but simply because the Father loves you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a reckless, prodigal God who lavishes grace upon us even when we reject that love. We thank you that you would run across the field for two sons who didn't love you in the beginning. Lord, help us not to be those sons. Help us to want you simply because you desire us, simply because we want a good, good father, and that you gave your only son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish. He gave his very bios, his life, for reckless people. So we thank you, dear Lord, that we can be welcomed into your home, not by what we've done or what we've earned or anything else, but simply because you love us. 